Hello everyone and welcome to Blogging Theology. Today I'm delighted to talk to Professor Dr. Mustafa Abu Sway. You're most welcome, sir. Thank you very much. Assalamu alaikum. Walaikum assalam. Um, in recent days, the world has witnessed shocking scenes of Israeli occupation forces storming the Masjid Al-Aqsa in occupied East Jerusalem. We've all seen violent attacks where Israeli forces entered Al-Aqsa using stun grenades, tear gas, and brutally beating Palestinian worshippers. What are we to make of all this? Inshallah, we're going to look at the wider context, the big picture. How is this place viewed in its Islamic perspective? The Quran, Hadith, and the Islamic tradition. Dr. Mustafa Abu Sway is the first holder of the integral chair for the study of Imam Ghazali's work at the Holy Al-Aqsa Mosque and at Al-Quds University. He was Dean, College of Dawah and Usul al-Din and College of the Quran and Islamic Studies, Al-Quds University from 2014 to 2020. He is also a member of the Islamic Waqf Council in Jerusalem, a member of the Hashemite Fund for the Restoration of Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Dome of the Rock. He's also been a professor and Islamic, of, and Islamic studies, professor of philosophy and Islamic studies at Al-Quds University, Jerusalem, Palestine, since 1996. So, sir, can you introduce us to the extraordinary story of Al-Aqsa Mosque? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah wa salatu salam wa rasulullah. Al-Aqsa Mosque, uh, to, uh, uh, to begin with, is situated, in, of course, in the old city, south-eastern uh, corner of the old city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, uh, the Holy Land, uh, Palestine. But, uh, you know, let's uh, avoid geopolitical uh, maps because holiness does not really... Uh, follow the uh, geopolitical map uh, per se, so it does not wiggle, it does not stop at checkpoints, it does not, mm. you know, stop, uh, get stopped by uh, separation walls and what have you. Mm. So there's a holy land, and uh, the notion of holiness in the first place, that's the, the largest picture is that the whole globe uh, is a masjid in the uh, hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. The whole globe is one big mosque. It doesn't mean that it is, that the globe has a uh, minaret, uh, that, but it's uh, a pure place where we can pray. It is full with the signs that point to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose specific places. We cannot, as Muslims, add holiness. We cannot choose extra places today. The way we have it, we have four holy places only in uh, in Islam. Uh, we have the uh, haram in, uh, in Mecca. And of course, we have the mosque in Mecca built on part of the Haram. The Haram, it's basically, it's that area where you cannot basically enter it without, if you, if you, your intention is for Hajj or Umrah, that's basically where you should, where should you wear, declare the uh, intention for uh, Ihram and what have you. And the, uh, the Prophet ﷺ also declared the Haram between two hilly areas uh, in Medina itself. And uh, we have, the, in the uh, story of Sayyidina Musa السلام, uh, like the burning bush uh, story, uh, that valley where it took place is described describe in the Quran as the uh, holy valley, Al-Wadi Al-Muqaddas, Al-Wadi Al-Muqaddas. We don't know, this is Sayyidina Musa السلام, going back, returning from Median after eight or ten years. Uh, the the idea is that we don't know where is that holy valley. We are not required to look for it, and there are no forms of worship associated with that. And then, of course, Al Aqsa uh, Mosque. The uh, the uh, the holiness uh, of the uh, of uh, of the land. Sidna uh, Musa alayhi salam, Prophet Moses uh, uh, asked his followers, believers, you know, all of them, all the followers of all prophets at all times. Uh, where uh, monotheists, where Muslims in the uh, in, a, in, in the broader sense, uh, submitting to the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, لكم, of course, he was addressing them qua believers, not qua ethnicity of a, or a cultural group. Uh, the, uh, the notion of uh, uh, blessedness, that this is a blessed land, 
several times in the Quran. One of them, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saved Sayyidina Ibrahim, uh, uh, Prophet Abraham alayhi uh, salam and uh, Prophet Lut, Lut alayhi salam. What's remarkable about this particular verse that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saved, uh, rescued uh, Sayyidina Ibrahim, Sayyidina uh, Lut to the land that we have blessed for the nations. That is at the end of nations is different, reflects the pluralistic uh, uh, Islamic worldview. We have never been exclusivist and uh, we'll get to uh, Sayyidina Umar ibn Khattab and the pact of uh, Umar. Uh, uh, momentarily, inshallah. So it's a it's a blessed land. It's a uh, holy land. Jerusalem itself, of course, uh, the Prophet uh, uh, mentioned several uh, traditions. Uh, we cannot go over the, all of these. I have uh, on academia.edu. I have uh, almost thirty. I translated almost thirty traditions that are related to uh, Jerusalem and Al-Aqsa Mosque. In uh, in one hadith, uh, uh, Sidna Abidar al-Ghafari, the uh, great uh, companion, he asked uh, the Prophet sallallahu uh, uh, about uh, which mosque was established first on earth. Mm. And the Prophet sallallahu said uh, uh, the mosque in, uh, uh, in, uh, in Mecca. And uh, this is, of course, the story of Sayyidina Ibrahim السلام, and Sayyidina Ismail. We'll get back, inshallah, to, uh, to this. And then uh, uh, Abu Dhar al-Ghifari asked uh, the Prophet, then uh, which mosque? And the Prophet وسلم, uh, said, Al-Masjid al-Aqsa. He used Al-Masjid al-Aqsa. And he asked how many years were between them. He said 40 years. And of course, uh, one can speak about the... Uh, the uh, uh, Either the original uh, choice by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, scholars debated the uh, the 40 years, uh, you know, between Sayyidina Ibrahim salam and whom, or, uh, but at any rate, the, the idea there is that uh, these are uh, chosen places. And with the, uh, with the story of Sayyidina Ibrahim salam, Sayyidina Ismail, of course, we know that uh, in the, the, uh, uh, Everything that we do during Hajj in, in Mecca pertains to the family of Sayyidina Ibrahim salam. Nothing about Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu uh, alayhi uh, So for example, uh, the, uh, when we offer the offering that it commemorates the story of, um, uh, of Ismail. But Ismail alayhi salam was not mentioned in the Quran within that story uh, of the sacrifice by name. How do we know that it is Ismail? I think it's very important because the biblical story speaks about uh, Ibrahim السلام, and uh, Ishaq. So it's Abraham and uh, uh, Isaac. So how come we say that it is, uh, uh, it is Ismail السلام? We know this because when the uh, angels on, the way, on their way to the people of Lot, uh, of course it was, they were bringing uh, um, really great punishment to them. Hmm. Uh, so on their way, uh, they brought uh, glad tidings to the family of uh, Abraham السلام, precisely because, because Sarah was barren. She, she could not basically uh, bear children. Now the glad tidings were that she will have a child, and this child, uh, his name is Isaac, Ishaq. Mm -hmm. And she was really uh, at a very old age. And uh, not only the glad tidings was about uh, a son, also, it was about a grandson whose name is Jacob. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guaranteed that this family, this part of the family, Sarah particularly, will have a son, will have a grandson. Okay? Which means that this son, Isaac, will grow old enough to get married. So there could be no test with Sayyidina Ishaq. We do not differentiate theologically between the prophets in terms of belief. In fact, the Quran does not have any tension between Ismail and uh, Ishaq. And Sarah and uh, Hagar do not uh, show up uh, as characters where there is tension. For example, the biblical narrative, uh, Sarah would say that uh, the son of Hagar would not inherit with my son. So she wants, wants uh, Sayyidina Ibrahim to get rid of him. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so it's really Mecca rather than Jerusalem. It's Ishmael rather than uh, Isaac, and it's, it's a very, very important story. But I think also there is a moral behind the story of the uh, sacrifice: is stop human sacrifices. 
Okay, that's really uh, mm. also part of the uh, of the story. Now, there is uh, another hadith of the Prophet وسلم, in which uh, uh, he invited Muslims to uh, to initiate travel for extra meritorious uh, holy places uh, to uh, uh, to the uh, mosque in uh, in Mecca, to the mosque in Medina, and to Al Aqsa uh, Mosque. And uh, it doesn't mean that we don't visit other places. I love to visit, for example, the mosque in Istanbul and other places. Yeah. Uh, I can, but it's it, they, they are not extra meritorious the way uh, we have these uh, uh, these three locations. Of course, the night journey in itself will get uh, you know we'll get to the uh, another hadith at least. But the night journey itself, uh, of course, we talk about that first verse of Surah Al Isra, chapter seventeen. Subhan servant from the noble sanctuary al masjid haram which is in mecca mecca is not mentioned uh, to the uh, al-aqsa mosque of course in uh, jerusalem uh, muslim scholars have never debated you know that the uh, noble sanctuary al masjid haram is in mecca and al masjid al-aqsa is in uh, jerusalem and yes. it was a sign it was during the uh, the year of sadness in which prophet muhammad sallallahu lost his two most important supporters his own wife Lady Khadija and his uncle Abu Talib who really uh, defended him uh, against the uh, Meccan uh, idolaters at any rate it was a, a location where you could definitely uh, it was a, a place where the Prophet will be relieved will, uh, definitely and this is why I would say now uh, those who have hard time they have uh, you know faced difficult time in their life they rather than going to Disney just come to these uh, beautiful places and you will have you know relief and you will in you know enjoy it and you'll go yeah. home I, I usually say also you'll go home uh, like uh, ambassador of goodwill on behalf of al-aqsa uh, mosque the so the 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 mosques are you know uh, they have this special uh, organic relationship always mm -hmm. uh, a twinship mm -hmm. in the language of today today they have twinships between cities yeah. uh, across countries this way we have a twinship between Masjid Haram in Mecca and Masjid Al-Aqsa in uh, Jerusalem. A hadith of the Prophet وسلم, Lady Maimuna, عنها, she asked the Prophet وسلم, tell us about our, meaning the Muslim community, the Muslim Ummah. What's our relationship with Jerusalem, with Bayt Al-Maqdis? And the Prophet وسلم, mentioned that, uh, alluded to the uh, end of time scenarios, eschatological notions, that it's going to be the land of uh, gathering and resurrection and uh, he uh, mentioned the uh, uh, that it that the extra meritorious uh, you know nature of uh, the prayer that if you pray here it's uh, you know it's multiplied and he used grammatically imperative language go there go and pray there so it's imperative i would not say it's a fard but the language is m imperative definitely and uh, she exclaimed about those who cannot make it because of whatever reason those who cannot make it today they cannot make it because they don't have money they cannot make it they are sick they are they cannot make it because of uh, they don't have the uh, visas uh, the uh, occupation you know prevents them or whatever is the case the prophet وسلم, said they can send a gift of oil to be burnt in its lanterns yeah. this gift of oil so I understand this hadith, these two particular issues, the, the prayer at Al-Aqsa Mosque and the gift of oil, to be speaking about two issues. One, spiritual, uh, the spiritual relationship with Al-Aqsa Mosque. You, you come here, you pray, you come here and, you know, whatever dhikr, whatever recitation of the Quran. But also Al-Aqsa Mosque has something special uh, that no other mosque has. If you initiate mm. a minor pilgrimage, the Umrah from Al-Aqsa Mosque towards Mecca, and then it's tantamount in terms of its blessings, uh, reward, tantamount to full hajj. It does not really relieve you from the obligation of hajj, but the reward, divine reward. In fact, just uh, about an hour ago or so, after the, I prayed the uh, noon prayer at Al-Aqsa Mosque and I uh, left the mosque, I met someone uh, from, uh, uh, I think, from Europe. 
he told me that he will be traveling today from Al-Aqsa Mosque from Jerusalem to Mecca really? because, of this particular, because of this particular uh, hadith. Wow. So pray, pray at, praying at Al-Aqsa Mosque, we understand the gift of oil taking care of Al-Aqsa Mosque. This brings us to the uh, to the uh, uh, to two things. One of them, the uh, the Prophet ﷺ, when he was taken from uh, Mecca to uh, Jerusalem from the noble, noble sanctuary to Al-Aqsa Mosque, what we had in Jerusalem, we have the space of Al-Aqsa Mosque, like the Haram in Mecca. The building is one thing, right? And the first Muslim building was built by Sayyidina Umar bin Khattab around 636 when Muslims uh, conquered uh, Jerusalem. And uh, the dev full development, at least the major development uh, of uh, that space took place at the, at the hands of the Umayyad dynasty by the end of uh, the 7th century, practically around 695. We, we already have the Dome of the Rock. We already have the Qibli, the southernmost uh, building, which suffered several times from earthquakes historically. Uh, Mujirdi al-Hambali, who literally died 500 years ago, said about the definition of Al-Aqsa Mosque, it's this space, and immediately within the same context of his book on the history of Jerusalem and Hebron, Al-Unsil Jalil, Fi Tarikh Al-Quds Wal-Khalil, he said that he measured the length of the mosque from the northern wall to the southern wall twice, and from the eastern wall to the western wall twice, and he mentioned that from the eastern wall from Bab al-Rahmah, which basically translates into the Gate of Mercy. Uh, in English, it is famous as the Golden Gate, all the way to the Tankazia School uh, in the West. Part of the Tankazia School is above the Western Corridor uh, of Al-Aqsa uh, Mosque, and part of it is in the uh, Old City near the uh, Gate of the uh, of the Chain. So, so when he specified what Al-Aqsa Mosque is, he said that it is... Uh, the whole uh, the whole space and there was no zionism there was no uh, israel there was no um, you know we don't contest as muslims the uh, the uh, the fact is that it is a mosque it has been a mosque in the hands of muslims it has been a mosque for 1500 years like 15 centuries um, we have just mentioned. Can I just, sorry, um, uh, um, uh, Doctor. Can I just pause you there, just to clarify um, one thing? Um, in many people's mind, in fact, in my mind, until I was corrected, I thought the Dome of the Rock was Al Aqsa. Um, and sometimes in the media, you get this this extraordinary uh, ancient building with this golden dome. But of course, that's not the Dome of the Rock. Isn't Al Aqsa Mosque? That, that that's a separate building. But often confused, isn't it? In, in many people's mind, perhaps in the West, I, I, I don't know if it's just here, but uh... I think there was once a Muslim scholar, uh, a prominent Muslim scholar, speaking about Al Aqsa Mosque, and he got mixed up. Really? Between, uh, what's the relationship? Uh, the Dome of the Rock is part of Al Aqsa Mosque. Anything right. on this surface is right. part of Al Aqsa Mosque. Anything beneath subterranean holes, like Al Marwani, it can accommodate several thousand people. And in fact, Right now, we have people who are doing itikaf. I hope that we have a chance to speak about uh, yes. itikaf. I want, I want to come back to that very concept, yes. by the way, later. Uh, so, so right now, we have people who are uh, doing itikaf. Uh, they stay in Al-Marwani. It's a, sub, a massive subterranean hall, beautiful. Uh, so we have subterranean halls. Uh, the, they call it sometimes the, the ancient Al-Aqsa, the uh, corridors that lead to the Umayyad palaces mm -hmm. south, uh, south of the uh, old city. The, so the, we have several subterranean hall so anything above anything below the airspace all of it is part of al-aqsa mosque so, al actually quite, quite a, a substantial geographical physical area which includes the dome of the rock but it also yes. includes al-aqsa mosque which is actually a separate building where people pray as well um oh, then uh, we talk, well, probably, well, we're talking, probably we're talking about the qibli the the Qibli, the yes yeah, yeah absolutely sometimes, sometimes they speak to it as about the Al-Aqsa. so if we do speak about the uh, the southernmost building is the Qibli. I remember right. that uh, uh, when uh, Lieberman, the Israeli foreign minister, when he was foreign minister, he sent an A4, like a letter to the embassies in Tel Aviv, telling them that Al-Aqsa Mosque is only the southernmost building so that Israel will have free hand really? um, in terms of the courtyards. Every single major mosque of, uh, uh, you know, in the history of Islam had a courtyard. Uh, Mecca has courtyards. 
between the Kaaba and the building, there is a courtyard where we make tawaf usually, but of course you can do it inside the uh, the building above the above floors. Uh, we the uh, the Umayyad Mosque in uh, in Damascus has a courtyard. The Mosque of the, the uh, Prophet Sallallahu has a courtyard. The even the Blue Mosque, Ahmed, Sultan Ahmed Mosque, has a courtyard. And this uh, is why like, Regent's Park Mosque here in London has a courtyard as well. Exactly. Yeah. Even I've, I've been there, uh, you know. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, obviously, no, nothing is uh, amazingly distinguished as the mosque. You're exactly. So, part of the, the mosque compound, the, the area, the complex of the mosque itself, it's not some kind of um, extra thing added on. It's part of the mosque. Yeah. Sometimes we had even to mention the uh, the uh, the you know the area. It's the all hundred forty four thousand square meters, hundred forty four domes, a little bit more than thirty six acres. It's the whole area, including the walls themselves. So the walls themselves are part of the mosque. Walls, and in fact, the walls themselves. So so just to clarify, when we saw when we saw those shocking scenes uh, on social media, we all did of Israeli occupation forces uh, storming Masjid Al Aqsa uh, recently. What part of that complex were they physically invading then and beating everyone? And what, where was that exactly? Okay, that's part of the that's the, the Qibli uh, mosque, in right. the southern and the southernmost part of that's mm. pretty much where Sayyidina Umar Khattab built his uh, the you know the original building before the Umayyads developed the whole uh, area. So they entered uh, th that uh, uh, that you know uh, before dawn they entered through the clinic, they damaged the clinic, damaged the wall. And attacked people with uh, I mean, unbelievable, unbelievable savagery. I mean, it wasn't even there's no there was no pretense. I mean, the cameras were there. There's no pretense of being law and order abiding. These they were brutal and and uh, quite shocking uh, to watch. And the whole world, I'm glad to say, in a way, saw this, witnessed. They saw, the they saw all of this. I mean, the image in my mind goes back always to that uh, young woman who had a light uh, colored up uh, could be a, a white uh, uh, scarf and it was full with uh, mm. uh, with blood there were you know absolutely uh, it is uh, uh, barbaric and, and uh, it does expose the nature of the there are no benign occupations there are no benign colonial powers uh, so that's exactly the place where uh, but that's not the only place where uh, you know the uh, attacks on the worshippers uh, take place sometimes really in the middle of the uh, courtyards there, there is also uh, a videotape where they broke uh, a, con a congregational prayers in the courtyard in front of the uh, of the uh, qibli uh, journalists were attacked the journalists uh, uh, who uh, literally uh, uh, got broken hands their cameras uh, uh, damaged uh, name it uh, elderly people women dragged uh, uh, there is no, uh, you know, they have no uh, um, no limit to what they could do. At, uh, there, there, is, there, is, there is an agreement, is there not? I mean, the, the King of Jordan, the uh, the Jordanian uh, king and the, the dynasty there has, um, the status quo is that they're supposed to be uh, administering and protecting yes. uh, and so on, that whole compound, N not the occupation force, the Israeli occupation no. force, who no, are now busting in and saying, taking it over. There's actually a... A Jordanian responsibility is that right legally? It's it's true. In fact, that part of Maimuna's tradition uh, uh, the, about the gift of oil, which translates into uh, maintenance, the taking care of uh, of the mosque, beginning with Sayyidina Umar al-Khattab, the Umayyads, the Abbasids, you know, different uh, uh, different uh, dynasties, the uh, the, uh, the the Mamluk, uh, the Ottoman. Uh, empire for some 400, 400 years and for the last century it has been the Hashemites since the time of the uh, uh, you know in fact Sharif uh, Hussein bin Ali he donated a very large uh, uh, sum of uh, of money for the main maintenance of uh, Al-Aqsa Mosque so it's a story of 100 years in fact one in a, in a different sense a little bit more than 100 years of Hashemite custodianship uh, and not only the Muslim holy places in Jerusalem, both uh, Islamic and uh, Christian uh, holy places. Well, that's an important point to make. It's not just a Muslim uh, concern or interest. It's also a Christian concern that the Hashemite, the Jordanian king, uh, has a responsibility to care and protect and maintain that particular area. Um, in fact, mm. the, uh, His Majesty uh, made uh, um, donations uh, for the renovation of the... Uh, 
uh, Holy Sepulchre Church. So uh, this is not, and this is not the only, uh, the only, uh, uh, the most important thing that the Hashemites are doing. Uh, when it was time to uh, to uh, to fight, they fought. So uh, you know uh, the Jordanian army uh, defended uh, Jerusalem, and this is why it was uh, did not fall under occupation in 1948. Mm. Uh, and today, it's diplomacy, uh, UNESCO. Uh, this is why we have the official name of Al-Aqsa Mosque uh, at the UNESCO is uh, Al-Aqsa Mosque slash Al-Haram uh, Al-Sharif. Uh, Jordan continues to be the uh, the address really for us both, uh, uh, you know, Christian uh, heads of churches and uh, Muslim scholars, the Waqf Council. Uh, it's, with it's the, also, sorry, the United, United Nations, you mentioned UNESCO, United Nations recognizes the, uh, the Jordanian responsibility for the custodian of that place as well. Yes, the United Nations does, the uh, White House does, uh, the, uh, uh, you know, the uh, Secretary of State uh, uh, recognized uh, His Majesty as the custodian of both uh, Muslim and Christian uh, holy places. This is very, very important. Of course, uh, on the ground, we have the Waqf Department, uh, the Islamic Waqf Department, about 1,000 employees who are taking care of everything uh, within Al-Aqsa Mosque and beyond. They take care of about 120 mosques in, uh, in Jerusalem, about 50 schools. But suffice it to say that anything uh, the support of His Majesty to, for you know, uh, is uh, unlimited, uh, and uh, definitely the support for the uh, sanctity of the mosque, for the uh, the uh, historical uh, status quo, uh, and this is what we uh, should all uh, do, and uh, really the uh, Muslim, the Arab and Muslim world. But I would say uh, slowly, slowly, the world is uh, um, realized basically the. Uh, the need for uh, uh, support for the such for the historical uh, status quo, because uh, as the uh, uh, as Archbishop Hussam uh, Naum, uh, Archbishop of the Anglican Church uh, in the uh, in the region, not only in Jerusalem and uh, Palestine, he said that the uh, custodianship of uh, His Majesty is a safety valve, really, uh, so the the region would continue to enjoy. Uh, uh, peace and security if uh, it is uh, uh, respected and of course all of this uh, is important but the elephant of the room uh, the elephant of the room is the Israeli occupation and there are yes. uh, ample, yeah. ample UN resolutions uh, that address this particular issue can, I, can we just go back to you mentioned the Christian the Archbishop there in the Anglican Church what about Christian holy places in the occupied uh, Jerusalem. Um, have there been attacks on them recently? Because the, the, the focus perhaps has been much more on the, uh, the the brutal storming of Masjid al-Aqsa. But what about the Christian holy places in that part of Jerusalem as well? Most recently, about a month ago, uh, uh, Archbishop uh, Hassan Naum, uh, myself, uh, and uh, uh, um, uh, Judge uh, uh, Muhammad Sarandah and uh, uh, Father uh, Ibrahim Azar from uh, Jordan. We uh, came to London. Really, we were, uh, you know, arranged by the uh, Jordanian embassy in uh, in London. We went from uh, from uh, Islamic uh, centers to uh, Christian churches to the Parliament to the uh, Foreign Office, meeting with the uh, diplomatic corps, etc. We were carrying the story of both of us, meaning uh, Christians and uh, Muslims. Uh, and uh, what our holy places uh, are facing, and uh, lately, uh, most uh, most the the we have uh, an attack on the Church of Flagellation in the Old City. Uh, we have an attack outside the Old City uh, near the Church of the Gethsemane on the foot uh, of uh, Mount of Olives, the Church of uh, uh, the Virgin Mary. There was another attack, and in both cases, we talk about an, an extremist Jewish uh, uh, fellow. And in both cases, it was a Muslim uh, man who stopped, uh, you know, the uh, attacker in, in both churches. What, what you say attack, what happened? I mean, was there a physical assault on the building or the worshippers, the Christian worshippers, or what happened? Okay. In, in the, the church flagellation, it was an attack on a statue of uh, Jesus Christ. As Muslims, we don't really, but it's really, we, uh, uh, we respect these uh, holy places. And we should really speak about the Pact of Omar. I think this is uh, very important ah, because yeah. for, 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 yeah. mm -hmm. for uh, more than 1400 years, we have been respecting this uh, relationship between us 
So it was an attack physically in the church flagellation on the uh, on the uh, artifacts the in the uh, in the church of the Virgin Mary outside the old city outside the Lion's Gate in the valley and on the foothill of the Mount Olives. It was an attack on both, and there was a, a priest, you know, uh, uh, leading a mass or something, and there was an attack. And uh, uh, there were two, but uh, one of them was uh, caught by uh, this uh, Muslim vendor uh, who was near uh, nearby. The Muslims are coming to the defense of uh, Christian holy places when they're being attacked by uh, Israeli extremists who are seeking to obviously, uh, goodness knows what they're trying to do, desecrate uh, Christian holy places. Yeah, they are Muslims and they defended the, uh, their... Uh, a Christian, uh, the, the Christian uh, holy places. And as much as we had also Christian uh, Palestinians uh, standing with us, literally, uh, not only once, not only twice, today at Al-Aqsa Mosque, I was told there is a Christian who comes inside Al-Aqsa Mosque every day and he distributes water and uh, and dates for those who uh, break fast. I think this is, this is very, very beautiful. And uh, there is one in, uh, in Nablus, uh, who year after year he distributes water and uh, fresh dates to people who are stuck in traffic, but they still need to uh, uh, to break uh, fast. Uh, so we stand with uh, with each other. Really, the uh, the image it's not anti any particular group. I have said this before. Had the colonial powers been belonged to a, a fourth religion, okay, mm. because it's about religion, had they belonged to a fourth religion, then it would be. Jew, yeah. Christian, and Muslim against the colonizer. In this case, but, but, but what's important here that is often not appreciated in the West, I think, is that it's it's Muslim Palestinians and uh, Christian Palestinians together who have suffered and are uh, suffering from the occupation. So it, it's Palestinian Christian leaders, archbishops. I mean, they're very well known, very prominent figures, respected religious figures in the Christian Church, who are standing shoulder to shoulder with their Muslim brothers. Uh, who are also under the same occupation uh, uh, over against the, uh, the the Israeli oppressors. So th this is th this um, uh, shoulder to shoulder of the the, the Christian and the Muslim uh, Palestinians is often not understood, particularly perhaps in places like the United States, where many Christians there are very pro-Zionist, of course, and thus anti-Muslim. But on the ground, in reality, it's Christians and Muslims who are suffering together as Palestinians under occupation is that is that a fair comment do you think it's it's fair at in terms of the uh, yes we both suffer under occupation we both don't have so for example uh, muslims and christians from the gaza strip do not have freedom of movement and there's a system of permits that the israeli military issues and you could only come to jerusalem whether it's like uh, uh, for uh, uh, during ramadan or which coincides, you know, today also with Easter. Also, mm. Christians from the Gaza Strip cannot come to Jerusalem without these permits. So sometimes they will. We were reading the, in the newspapers and the media that 400 Christians were given permits to come from Gaza Strip, or less. The same thing applies to Muslims and Christians from the West Bank. Typically, they don't have freedom of movement. There are literally there is a solid physical separation wall. There are uh, uh, military checkpoints. And you could only enter uh, through the uh, th through these uh, checkpoints if you have that uh, permit. Uh, so, uh, so uh, if there's no freedom of movement, there's no freedom of worship. In uh, elderly people, elderly people, you know, beyond certain age, they could uh, they could come from the West Bank, not from the Gaza Strip, without the uh, permits. Uh, uh, young people do not have, uh, they will not be issued permits. Uh, so if you say uh, at 20 years old from the West Bank, typically they will not have the uh, the, uh, the permit, uh, which uh, leaves a whole generation uh, of Palestinians who have never been to Jerusalem, though they could be living only a couple of miles. Bethany uh, to the east is only a couple of miles. Bethlehem is only five miles to the south. Ramallah is only maybe... Uh, uh, seven miles to the north. So we talk about people who could see Jerusalem from specific places, uh, but they cannot come to uh, to Jerusalem. So uh, the we both suffer under... And also there are uh, laws that apply to both of us, uh, uh, Muslim and Christian uh, Palestinians. If, they are, if we are Jerusalemites, we have a residency. 
and we could lose this residency if uh, the center of our life is outside of Israel according to their legal uh, definition uh, which means we could uh, lose our uh, identity cards our residency and we could end up uh, not living in Jerusalem. The irony is any Jewish person who's never been to the Middle East in their life living in New York or London or Moscow or anywhere on the planet has a right in inverted commas according to the Israelis to live in the West Bank or Jerusalem by virtue of their Jewish identity or whatever, isn't it? So it's ironic that they have that absolute legal right, apparently, but um, residents uh, you know, who've been living there for centuries can't even go to Jerusalem, can't even go down the road. Um, it, it's an extraordinary, and it, the word apartheid has been used in the media recently, it's been thrown around, and it does strike me as, as, uh, as an interesting term that might apply to the, the example, the, the, the sense that different ethnic groups and communities living apart, but with the uh, the dominance and the supremacy of one particular ethnic group over the others, controlling and regulating what other groups can do. The analogy being with apartheid South Africa, of course, where a a minority white minority controlled the majority population. Do you think that's a, a fitting analogy, this apartheid concept? It has been used uh, uh, systematically by all those who uh, advocate. Uh, you know the uh, you know or at least they address the issue of uh, uh, the nature of the uh, discrimination against the Palestinians. We have about fifty laws, at more than fifty laws really that discriminate against Palestinians. So if you happen to be a Palestinian with Israeli citizenship and you have a wife from the West Bank, you there is a process, a legal process, and they pass laws against family reunification uh, in the uh, in the uh, in the Knesset. It's a very tough uh, thing to, to do, but uh, the notion of someone, a Jew from the United States, for example, uh, even who uh, never set foot in, the, uh, in, 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 uh, in Palestine, has more right. I have a striking example. Uh, uh, people do not think so, you know, usually don't think of Ivanka Trump. She converted to Judaism, okay? She did come uh, to, uh, to Palestine. Uh, and uh, for us in Jerusalem, it was not a happy occasion because it was uh, the uh, uh, moving the embassy from the American embassy from Tel Aviv to uh, to Jerusalem. But at any rate, Ivanka Trump, if she decides to uh, emigrate to Israel today, she has more right than I do. I have, you know, my family goes back through and through. And, and you, you, of course, uh, are born in Jerusalem, your family perhaps go back many, many centuries, possibly millennia. And you're saying that this lady, uh, American lady who converts to Judaism, has more right to live in your country than you do. Is that true? Well, since you have mentioned being born, I was born in Amman because at the time it was Jordan and my father was serving in the Jordanian uh, military and he was in the camp officers. And... Uh, uh, but five of my siblings were born in uh, Jerusalem. I have uh, in my family tree, uh, I have a manuscript, an ancient manuscript where someone from my family, a Sufi, shows up uh, on a, uh, in that manuscript. So we, we go back as a family. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows how far we can uh, we, we go. But the idea is that someone who immigrates today has more rights than a Palestinian. So, for example, we have... But that's, based, but that's based on race or ethnicity, isn't it? And that's where the whole apartheid thing comes in. Because the apartheid system is based on color and race and ethnicity rather than on, on, on law and, and uh, rights for everyone. And, and that's, that, that's what strikes uh, well, many, many young people, many people in the world now are shocked that this apartheid-like system is entrenched and very much alive and kicking in, in what is called the state of Israel. It's we well. I cannot really say that it's really one pure ethnicity. Uh, uh, you know, um, that's really uh, it. Cannot be the uh, the case that, but it's a constructed eth ethnicity. Yeah. Okay. It's a constructed ethnicity. So yeah. they just put more rights for a specific group, and this is really the problem. They can build. They can, in fact, in fact, the Israeli High Court uh, passed a law. Uh, they don't pass a law per se, but they they uh, they have uh, a ruling that if the Israeli army confiscates a Palestinian private land in good faith, that's okay. In good faith, well, that's a hell of a in horse, isn't it? For anything you care to say, it is yeah. The one we are going to say in 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 the face of uh, uh, so they can they can. Uh, uh, 
uh, land grab uh, takes place all the time and they they uh, put themselves as the uh, as the judge uh, as to what uh, uh, settlement colony in the west bank for example is legal or illegal all of them are illegal all of them are null and void according to international law national law but um, can you explain this notion of uh, itikaf and why the Israeli forces are um, preventing Muslims uh, from doing so? Well, what is this uh, idea and, and how does it play out? The, the, the original notion of itikaf is that basically you dedicate, you dedicate time, basically you have the intention, I'm going to be, for example, in the mosque, let's say from dawn until the afternoon or from noon until night, or I'm going to spend the last 10 days, or the first five days, or this night only, and this is practiced all over the world by Muslims, uh, they do what everybody else is doing, except that they don't leave the mosque. Right. And when they don't leave the mosque, it means, uh, and this is an old uh, ruling, if you are in the courtyard of the mosque, you are still in the mosque. If you are even in need of something that you need to get quick, say for example, uh, I was asked today by someone uh, uh, at Al-Aqsa Mosque who is doing itikaf. He's uh, from, uh, uh, you know, a Muslim from uh, a foreign national. And he asked me whether they uh, provide uh, uh, suhoor, food, uh, pre-dawn uh, meal. Mm. And I said, of course, there they, there's plenty of food for iftar and for suhoor. But just in case, let's just say that the number of people is, is really, you know, uh, uh, more than uh, the, the the number of meals people can share, but still, I told him you can still, as someone who is in a state of itikaf, you can still leave the gate of the mosque to the nearest you know uh, store, get some food, and come back. You are still your itikaf is still intact. It's not right, uh, right. so you are not going to uh, you know uh, sleep at a hotel or what have you. That doesn't uh, doesn't work. So people do sleep inside the mosque during itikaf. Now. Why the uh, Israeli forces uh, prevent uh, Muslims from having itikaf inside the Qibli, uh, Qibli Mosque or any other part of the Al-Aqsa uh, uh, Mosque slash Al-Haram uh, al-Sharif? Because they, they did not want to have uh, a large uh, you know, number of Muslims inside the, uh, the whole mosque when they bring the uh, extremist settlers inside the mosque in the, in the morning. So that's the whole idea. And of course, it's, it's basically dictating things inside Al-Aqsa Mosque. I would like to mention, because I, I know just say that the, 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 the Jordanian king uh, um, is the one who has custodianship. He's supposed to regulate and maintain the safety and the access to uh, that area. But now the Israeli security forces have unilaterally just taken this over in violation of this uh, status quo, this understanding which has been there for generations. So this is seen, and this is a very new thing, isn't it? In in recent years, it's not like, you know, th this is a, a very recent thing. The historical status quo, we can go back to 1852 when the Ottomans started talking about this status quo, but that included at the time the Christian uh, denominations uh, inside the, uh, at the time when we say the old city, that was the whole city. There was no outside. Right. Uh, but the, uh, yes, you are right. And, uh, the Waqf Department continued to take care of Al-Aqsa Mosque, meaning the Israeli, uh, the Israeli uh, security forces, qua occupiers. Their place was outside the mosque. They have no business being inside the mosque. Al-Aqsa Mosque or any other mosque, they have no business. They have no business being inside the church. They have no mm. business. So this, the Waqf continued to take care of Al-Aqsa Mosque uh, uh, in total until the year 2000. When Ariel Sharon uh, broke into the mosque with uh, 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 a large number of soldiers uh, and security forces, uh, around 2,000 of them, and uh, that instigated the the, uh, the second intifada, and for three years uh, only Muslims uh, could enter, and in the year 2003, the Israeli police unilaterally, uh, uh, you know, changed the uh, that much of the historical status quo. They started bringing. Um, uh, Jewish extremists, and they uh, took them for the first time all the way to the eastern part of the mosque. So that's what they do uh, Sunday to Thursday. So for, no, on, on Fridays and uh, Saturday, they, they don't do that. Uh, and it's not a sign of goodwill. It's, you know, Saturday, they, uh, 
is is Saturday, of course, and the uh, Friday we have uh, a very large crowd inside Al Aqsa Mosque. So they take them to all the way to the eastern part of the mosque. Then they move northward in the direction of the uh, Bab al Rahma, the uh, uh, the Gate of Mercy, as uh, we mentioned earlier. And uh, this is why the Israeli police uh, would not allow Muslims to pray in that area, mm-hmm. while there, uh, there are uh, uh, Jewish extremists in the uh, in the region. In fact, today I saw a young man uh, when I went in the morning to uh, to Al Aqsa Mosque. Saw a young man outside uh, the uh, the uh, the extern the outside gate near uh, uh, Lions Gate, and I asked him, "Were you prevented from entering?" And uh, he told me they uh, they mean the police. Uh, told uh, told him that he could enter after 11:30, meaning after the uh, Jewish extremists leave the mosque. So mm. this is uh, this is uh, definitely uh, a violation in in, in uh, violation of the, uh, the the responsibilities and rights to regulate yes. by the uh, Jordanians. And this is you talk about the extremists. I mean, some people are saying that the new far they're talking of a new far right administration in in um, occupied Jerusalem are, are not the extremists now part of the government in terms of uh, some of the ministers particularly I mean, yeah. how, how has this affected things it's just presumably made it considerably more difficult I would say yes to both they are part of the government uh, Smotrich uh, who denies that there is a Palestinian people though we are mentioned really in uh, hieroglyphic uh, writings going back to the old days of, uh, of Egypt we are the Canaanites we are the Philistines, we are not the same faith like the Philistines, but no, you know no. uh, we have been. In fact, sometimes I begin by speaking about Jericho rather than Jerusalem. It's twelve. It's the uh, oldest known uh, agricultural settlement in the history of humanity until today, twelve thousand years ago. Amazing agricultural settlement. It means that the Palestinians who lived at the time, whoever they were, they knew how to till the land, how to cultivate, how to harvest, and of course it was like. Uh, a carbon 14 test and they knew uh, that it goes back to that uh, to that time so the we have smotrich we have been gvir who's a convicted criminal he has 52 uh you know uh, uh, on his file with the police he's a, a kahanist uh from the days of his youth this is a group that the united states declared as a terrorist group so he, who is he? What, what, what position now does this individual he, he's hold? Now, he is the uh, uh, Minister for Security, Internal Security. And uh, the convicted, uh, former terrorist is now the Minister for Internal Security in yes. Israel. Extraordinary, extraordinary. Yes, that's exactly what it is. So it's, of course, it's surreal. It is surreal. Uh, the, the, uh, if you give, uh, the, of course, he will basically uh, use a, an iron fist against the uh, the uh, the Palestinians, and uh, what we have seen lately is really part. In fact, you will find uh, an article on Haaretz, it's an Israeli uh, uh, newspaper. Uh, it does the uh, the um, uh, the uh, title of the article: the uh, the settlers inflamed the situation. The police gave the spark. Mm-hmm. Israeli police. So mm-hmm. they know. Everybody knows what's going on. So the, the bottom line is just, uh, you know, it's uh, it's a mosque. It's going to remain a mosque and uh, stop messing with the affairs of the mosque. Back outside the parameters, the 144 donums, uh, outside the 36 uh, acres, your place is on outside as long as the occupation uh, continues. But I hope that, uh, and this also that... Uh, the international community should also address the larger picture, rather the than the international community. I mean, it's, so far it seems. I mean, I, I'm, I'm no expert. I've never been to uh, your part of the world, unfortunately. Um, but it seems that the uh, the Israelis are operating with Im- impunity at the moment in what they're doing. Um, I, I mean, I'm not aware of any sanctions. I'm not aware of any security council resolutions. I know they tried to pass one, but it was vetoed. I think was it vetoed by. The United States. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, but it, it seems that they are getting away with it um, with impunity uh, from the international community. Is that fair, or am I misinformed? No. Do you think it's 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 accurate. It's very accurate. You know, it's just like mm. uh, the international community is tiptoeing around Israel, teaching, teaching, you know, treating really Israel with uh, uh, with silk gloves. Uh, you know, uh, going uh, going by the Israeli playbook, even the narrative about what's going on. Mm. 
So rather than speaking the the international media, even BBC, uh, we talk about you know we talk about the uh, coverage uh, of the most recent uh, uh, you know raids. Really, uh, uh, you talk about an, an army attacking those uh, 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 worshippers uh, and creating stories. It's not a clash because a clash is be you know between yes. two equal. Uh, parties yeah, moral equivalence here between the Israeli occupiers and the Palestinians. Well, kind of, it's just a struggle between these two these two groups. Without any, when it comes to you reporting on Ukraine, though, it's very much well. We're very much on the side of the Ukrainians. We're against the evil Putin, and you get a very clear moral kind of uh, perspective on the whole conflict. But in this uh, situation, suddenly the moral evaluation disappears and you have this kind of equivalence as if uh, they're, they're kind of uh, more or less on the same footing. And that's that's curious, isn't it, where you get moral clarity and outrage on one hand and a complete absence of any sense of what's actually going on, the systemic occupation and injustice. The, the, the wider context seems to be completely missing from the BBC and other Western I'm not saying all Western media do this, but it seems a lot of them are doing it. It's very insulting to us. You are adding insult to injury. If you, if you know, all those who uh, adopt the Israeli narrative, and they do have, you know, uh, professional people uh, to advocate their own uh, version of the uh, story. And unfortunately, uh, not only they uh, they tow the uh, the Israeli line, but you uh, have read most recently that. Uh, Time magazine uh, intends to have their annual conference at the uh, at the uh, um, uh, Museum of uh, Tolerance in Jerusalem, and I think it's a big shame. Why? Um, why not have a, 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 a conference at the uh, at a Museum of Tolerance? Because this Museum of Tolerance is uh, established uh, on part of the Mamela Ma'amanilla Historical Muslim uh, Cemetery. Israeli newspapers spoke about exhuming 400 Muslim graves to make room for a museum of tolerance. This is Rabbi Hayer from, um, from Los Angeles. It's a shame. Uh, they should stop basically using a cemetery for their conferences. They should stop using this cemetery. It's a Muslim cemetery. It will always be a Muslim cemetery. This place uh, was tainted from day one. The Muslim families who have loved ones there in that cemetery went all the way one, um, you know, one... Uh, Israeli court after another, another until they reached the Israeli High Court, and the Israeli uh, High Court uh, ruled in favor of the Israeli municipality of Jerusalem, uh, meaning that uh, they gave the okay to Rabbi Hayat to build his uh, Museum of Tolerance. I think it's nothing but a monument to his ego rather than a Museum of Tolerance. Mm. Uh, do, do you think recent events, however, will lead or are leading to a shift in global feeling views about this? Do, do you get the sense that? The, the ground is shifting in terms of the public perception. By public, I mean, of course, the West. Sorry, I, it's, it's always the international community, by the way, is always America, Australia, Britain, you know, Europe. It's never kind of the rest of the world, like Africa. So um, do, do you get the sense that there is a change in, in perception or are people just not bothering to take an interest and are just a, a screen of indifference still? There is interest, there is a renewed interest, and also we see a shift in the uh, narrative, which is a healthy sign, it's a good sign. And uh, the uh, the international community is, uh, despite all these, uh, uh, you know, uh, public statements that usually call for calm, uh, usually, of course we need calm, but we need also the Israeli Justice, uh, really justice as well as calm. I mean, how can there be true peace without justice? Otherwise, it just becomes the peace of the graveyard rather than the peace of a, a healthy, vibrant, uh, just social order. Allow me, uh, sir, to uh, mention Omar Khattab a uh, couple of times. Once an emissary, like an ambassador, uh, came to looking for Omar Khattab. This is not Jerusalem now, it's Medina. And uh, he found Omar Khattab sleeping under uh, a tree. Mm -hmm. And uh, so no guards, no, uh, uh, and he said three words in Arabic. We need uh, more than 10 in English uh, to translate these th three words in Arabic. He said, uh, you must have been just. So I'm echoing basically what you have just mentioned about justice. You must have been just. You felt secure. Therefore, you slept like this. What mm -hmm. I have noticed around the world. 
hundreds if not thousands of conferences and seminars and lectures about security 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 nary a word about justice mm. you know if you don't have security just look at the roots mm. you have injustice and this is really uh, one thing but then i need to go back to omar al-khattab in jerusalem and mm. his pact with patriarch sophronius oh, yeah. i think one of the most beautiful things in the history of humanity that particular pact and let's say that Omar al-Khattab was really shaped as a personality in the school of the Prophet وسلم, revelation shaped him the you know by being with the Prophet وسلم, that shaped him by being with the Prophet وسلم, when the Christian delegation that came from Najran from uh, south part of the Arabian Peninsula they came to the uh, to the uh, to meet with the Prophet وسلم, and they met with him in the mosque and they stayed in the mosque there were no hotels, no motels we speak about the Christian clergy staying inside the mosque and I think this is a very beautiful thing in the history uh, of, uh, uh, of Islam Umar al-Khattab concluded with uh, Patrick Sophronius that pact, Al-Uhd al-Umari as we call it in Arabic preserving the sanctity, security uh, of the Christian holy places and the freedom of worship and after 1400 years of course much more than 1400 years we are still there both Christians and Muslims but in fact mm. we have to speak about the diminishing numbers of Christians in the Holy Land and in Jerusalem yes until, yes. until 1948 1947 pretty much the Christians were almost one-third of the population of Jerusalem one-third Mm, yeah. uh, approximately today today they are about one percent only one percent you see, you see uh, under the ottoman empire obviously when uh palestine was part of the empire jews and christians and muslims uh lived together coexisted in peace for literally centuries i mean it wasn't just like a few years and how different is the situation today where we see this apartheid-like system, we see military occupation and oppression and incursions into uh, houses of worship, churches and masjids, mosques as well. And also you say that a third of the population of Jerusalem, historically, of course, a place of immense importance and significance to Christians because of the life of, uh, of Jesus and, and the Old Testament figures as well, now being reduced to just 1% of, as you say, uh, of the population. And that is, you know, an, an extraordinary change, isn't it, in a matter of, of, of just a few years, where the, popula the, the Palestinian Christian population has virtually become extinct in Jerusalem itself, of all places. The uh, uh, in 1996, when uh, Netanyahu was uh, prime minister, there was the so-called leaked report accusing the Palestinians of uh, literally the PLO uh, of uh, uh, being the reason why the uh, Christians are leaving the, the Palestinian Christians are leaving the country. Professor Bernard Sabella, a Palestinian sociologist, a Christian, a Catholic, uh, in fact, a Palestinian uh, sociologist, he responded to the so-called leaked report uh, and he said uh, it's the occupation that's why people are leaving mm -hmm. and uh, even there are many muslims who are leaving but we don't feel it the same way because our numbers are not let's, not, let's not forget that this is the uh, the uh, cradle of christianity christianity was born here in you know we talk about with the birth of jesus in, in, <laughs> yeah. literally in fact, in fact, this reminds me when we talk about the birthplace. In fact, if you if you enter through Lion's Gate, uh, the to your left is the uh, a gate, one of the gates that lead to Al-Aqsa Mosque. To your right is Saint Anne, the birthplace of uh, Mary, Maryam salam. and it's a very large complex. And uh, this reminds me of the misleading uh, misleading map of the old city that is given to tourists, as if basically we have four well-defined quarters. Muslim quarter, Christian quarter, Armenian quarter, and Jewish quarter. That's that has never been the uh, case historically. Go through the Muslim quarter, Saint Anne, Church of Flagellation, Church of Ecohomo, an Orthodox church, the Austrian hospice. On the other side, you have another Armenian, you know, uh, uh, building. You have many stations of the uh, of the cross. This, you know, that's not what we believe, but the the idea. This is the the Christian heritage. And that's in the in the Muslim quarter, and in the Christian quarter you will find the 
mosque of Omar. That's when, when we, we talk about Muslim and Christian rubbing shoulders together. Also the mosque and church, day and night, they say good morning and they say good night. This is the case in, uh, in, in Jerusalem. We have the Holy Sepulchre Church and the Mosque of Omar. In Bethlehem, we have the uh, uh, Church of Nativity and also another mosque of Omar named after Omar al-Khattab, the Mosque of Omar al-Khattab. They also be, uh, exist basically uh, right there next to, uh, to each other. In the Christian quarter, you'll have the uh, the quarter of Salah uh, al-Din, Saladin, they say in, in English right. sometimes. Yeah. Uh, and he has his own zawiyah, very, very small, extremely small room where he would do dhikr. Uh, so uh, so the, our history uh, is integrated. Our history uh, is one we have really. Uh, Smotrich said that there's no Palestinian you know, people. Our history is ingrained. Not only in the stones of the uh, uh, of the uh, of the old city and the rest of uh, Palestine, it's in the embroidered Palestinian dress. It's in our cuisine that they, uh, you know, that they see day uh, and night. It's in our uh, strong social fabric. Uh, it's just simply we are together. And I wish basically that uh, this spirit that I'm talking about will be extended to everyone. But let's basically. Get rid of the uh, of, of that elephant. Uh, you know, we not going to talk about the uh, of the elephants in in the, in the jungle. We talk about the jungle that uh, that was brought upon us, where the law of the jungle is really uh, mm. is norm right here in uh, in Palestine. Gosh, that's extraordinary. Well, perhaps we'll, we'll uh, conclude here. Uh, um, it's an extraordinary story. Um, and you, you've only been able to briefly touch on that we've gone from the biggest context, the theology, the theology of the of the land, of the Islamic perspective. And you mentioned uh, ayah of the Quran that actually uh, are relevant to this. You mentioned Hadith. You mentioned the Pact of Omar, uh, which I encourage everyone to uh, look into. Um, and, th and then you mentioned the, the many centuries of peaceful coexistence um, between Jews, Christians and, and Muslims. Uh, and, and then we have the, the, the tragedy of the occupation, the brutal occupation, which has come to a particularly vicious um, head in, in, in literally in a matter of days ago, and it's still ongoing, where shocking scenes of Israeli occupation forces storming uh, Masjid al-Aqsa in occupied East Jerusalem. And may, maybe the difference now is just this, that the world can see this. They can, they can, you know, Palestinians with their with their phones perhaps or filming it. They can, we can see it on TikTok. We can see it on Twitter. We can see it on YouTube videos. What is actually happening? Um, no longer is it just your word versus uh, over against the Israeli word about what really happened. Was there any brutality? Was there any attacks? We can see for ourselves now, and I have seen for myself, you know, exactly what is happening. Uh, and the appalling, as I say, br brutality, which would be, you know, if it happened in the streets of London or Paris or, you know, Washington, you know, th there'd be a national outrage. There'd be, be, you know, the, the government itself would be quaking and, and oh, my goodness me, this is a, a scandal. But no, as you say, you know, there have been words of concern and, you know, in, in, you know imploring peace from various governments, but... It's still going on and nothing ha has changed. But the difference I'm hoping uh, is that because the world now has a window onto this uh, in a way it hasn't had before through social media, that this will change minds and hearts and people will actually really get to grips with uh, the situation of the Christian and Muslim Palestinians in the occupied territories of your country. So do you have a... Do you have any final words before we conclude, perhaps? Yes, uh, my final uh, word is a message of, uh, um, you know, uh, of gratitude. Uh, of course, uh, thank you for uh, having me. And uh, my uh, message to uh, Muslims uh, all over the world mm. that your uh, first qibla, because Muslims prayed in the direction of Jerusalem for 16 or 17 uh, right. months, and uh, it's our first qibla, it's our first direction. So our first uh, qibla is our first concern. If you have missed the opportunity to come to Jerusalem, to Al-Aqsa Mosque, this Ramadan, and it's not only during Ramadan, uh, please plan that you will uh, come. Uh, not Don't postpone it until Ramadan next year. Just make sure that you come time and again. I know people, especially from uh, London, Jazamullah uh, Khairan, they, uh, they come to Jerusalem. And today uh, I could see basically groups uh, from, uh, from uh, the UK and from South Africa and many other uh, places from uh, Europe as well. 
but the largest so far groups uh, systematic they come from uh, UK continue the good work but I hope that every Muslim will you know make a, a commitment an internal uh, commitment the intention uh, to come to Jerusalem you'll be supporting your Palestinian uh, brothers and sisters and not only Muslims many uh, hotels in Jerusalem are owned by uh, Christians come fill these uh, uh, you know, uh, um, hotels uh, support the economy, and uh, as I said earlier, uh, you return home as ambassador of goodwill, inshallah. Mm, inshallah. Oh, that's that's a, a wonderful uh, final message. Well, thank you so much indeed, Professor Dr. Mustafa Abu Sway, for your time, your expertise. I know you're a busy man, you're a very distinguished uh, scholar, and so thank you very much indeed, sir. Thank you. Until next time. Yeah,